looked at the, the motivation for flesh crucifixion, namely our eternal reward, not our redemption. That redemption is one in Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, and then life is lived out as a believer, crucifying our flesh, putting to death our fleshly desires, those things which are contrary to the Spirit, for the motivation of pleasing our Lord and, and uh, preparing, uh, storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. It's an incredibly painful call. It's a call that requires endurance and a firm conviction that the prize at the other end of the pain, that it's worth it. This week, we look at the means of crucifixion, so a bit more practical, looking at how this is done. What are the mechanics of putting to death the flesh, which is keeping us from something better? Let's read this uh, passage again. Remember, we're, we're kind of taking a lot of this, uh, kicking off from Galatians 5, 22 through 26. Galatians 5, 22 through 26. I'm going to read that, we'll pray, and then we'll dive in. Galatians 5, starting in verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another envying one another. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you so much for your word, which gives us clarity into how we are to behave, what you desire for us, both for your glory, for our good and benefit. I pray that you would be with these, my friends, that their minds would be open, that they would be attentive, that um, you would be with uh, my mouth, that I would present what is true from your word, and that it would bear fruit in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So whatever you may have heard about Christianity being a, a religion of do's and don'ts, or maybe you come from, uh, I kind of flip-flopped back and forth a little bit in uh, my church upbringing that Christianity is a bunch of do's and don'ts and rules, and then on the other side, maybe Christianity, it's not, it's not, it's, it's all God's grace, and there's not a lot of do's and don'ts. But let's put it to rest, if you spend much time in either the New Testament or the Old Testament, Christianity absolutely is. A long list of do's and don'ts, things we are to do and we are to be and things that we are not. So don't be fooled. Again, like some of the, the question or the challenge might be, oh, that's legalism. Right. We are, we're not saved by these things. These are not things that uh, commend us toward, towards God for him to look on us with favor and say, there's a good person, I'll save that one. That's not what we're talking about. But as believers... There are, there are commands on our lives for things that we are to do and things that we are not. But I wonder sometimes why there is this disdain for that, like why we want Christianity to not be a list of kind of, we can, we can do what we want, we're, we're all under grace, and it's all just whatever rises out of our heart is saved people, it must be good, or we have a greater tendency towards that. Why, why this fear or disdain of a list of do's and don'ts? It's not, it's not legalism. Why would we despise this? Really, what, what Scripture teaches is that this is freedom, that there's freedom somewhere buried in this list of do's and don'ts. And, and like this shouldn't surprise us that much. Life is full of do's and don'ts, things that we should and shouldn't do. Stop at the red light if you don't want to die. Brush your teeth 
You don't want to get cavities. Pants go on the bottom, shirt goes on the top. But there's all kinds of things that we follow these rules, these lists of do's and don'ts. The issue, though, is that we, we want to do what we want to do. Like, this is what we think freedom is, is that I will do what I want. And if there's something that comes against that, that's when I, that's, that's when I start to push against that. But that's not freedom. And, and really, you're, you're enslaved to your desires. What you want is not something that just like naturally comes to your mind. Like it's a product of what's around you, the, the sinful world that you're in, the advertisements that you see. Your desires are a compound of all of the things that are around you. These aren't just, I, I want, like you actually have these desires, but if you think that you have any true autonomy or volition in those decisions, in those feelings, in those emotions, that's ridiculous. You're a slave to your desires. And honestly, those desires, what Scripture is teaching us, is, is that they're, they're in conflict, they're harmful to you. And th- this, is, this is true, like, across the board of the things that you desire. Sugar, it's sweet. Mmm, I want more sugar. Right? Drugs, they're addictive. Even the sun, it feels nice. Before you know it, you're fat, sunburned, and you're an addict. Like, the, the, your desires... Are not just, they're not just good for you. Your desires can be, and, and for the unbeliever, are harmful to you. And so freedom is not doing what you want. True biblical freedom is wanting what you should, wanting what's good for you. So that your desires are properly oriented around producing in you things that are beneficial. There is no concept of just doing whatever uh, you want You need to want what you should. But as unbelievers, that's impossible. You're a slave to yourself, to your sin, unto destruction. But in Christ, we're free to want the things we should. He is working in us these desires which are beneficial to us. And that's what we're talking about here, where there's this conflict. Live by the Spirit or live according to the flesh. Live according to the flesh is destruction. Live according to the spirit is life and reward, benefit. And so when when I bring like a practical application for the concept of crucifying our flesh, we're not just talking about a worthless self-abasement or a, a deprivation of desires that would be devoid of, of actually changing your heart, of actually changing your mind. We're not just saying no to our flesh. We're saying yes to the Spirit, yes to the things that are good. Now, you absolutely do need to do a lot less of the things that are harmful to you, things that are unrighteous and ungodly. But you cannot do those things appropriately if you do not desire God, if you don't have godliness and righteousness. Otherwise, you're just going to Become the monk, right? That's, that's where this concept of monasteries come from. We're just going to make our lives really, really hard because that, in that somehow uh, of, of removing from us the pleasures of life, that somehow that's righteousness or somehow that will commend us to God. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about actually changing our, our hearts, changing our minds, changing our affections to want what we should, the things that the Spirit produces so that we bear a different fruit. Instead of the fruit of unrighteousness, it's the fruit of righteousness. Let's read a verse here, Colossians 2, 20 through 23. 
kind of in this vein. Colossians 2, starting in verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees, such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And that's really the, the crux of the issue, that as Christians we must fight with violent intent against our fleshly indulgence. This is not just saying no to your flesh in this idea of like self-made religion, of I'm going to become a better person on my own, or I'm just going to say no to all of the, the worldly things, but not then put on Christ. Because if we don't have Christ, if we're not doing these things for Him and the power of the Spirit, for His glory, for His reward, then it's, it is of no value. It's not really because your heart is changed. See, we're looking here at a, at a goal, something to, not just appearing healthy, right? A, a monk may, in, a, in one sense, sin less, but if his heart's not changed, it's, it doesn't value, it doesn't profit him anything. So it's not the appearance of just looking healthy where you're not doing a lot of bad things, but that you're actually producing a lot of righteousness through the power of the Spirit. Not just looking healthy for healthy's sake, but for bearing a fruitful harvest. We're trying to be good farmers, not just not grow a bunch of weeds and have an empty field. What we want is, is something better, something fruitful. Psalm 16, verse 11, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. That's better. That promise is better than any sin that you might indulge, any unrighteousness that you might entertain. And we need to believe that. That's the challenge. That's the struggle. That's the difficulty that in your sin, in your decisions to do what's right or do what's wrong, to crucify your flesh or not, it's all orienting, all orbiting around, do we really believe that in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy, and at His right hand are pleasures forever. That's what we want. That's what we're pursuing. That's what we're working towards, is bearing this fruit unto that rich reward. But every time you choose sin over that, you're, you're flushing away those eternal rewards, those pleasures forevermore. Full joy, eternal pleasure, it's better. It's better than our secular music that we listen to. It's better than the ungodly things that we watch on YouTube and TikTok and Twitch. It's better than our own words that we use towards others, our own desires, and we need to believe that. Because if you don't, you won't turn it off. You won't throw it out. And every time that you indulge in it, you're flushing away eternal rewards. Don't do it. It's not worth it. I want to focus our, our time this morning in two categories of challenge, the do's and the don'ts, things you need to stop doing 
the things you need to start doing as you seek to store up a rich, eternal life. So the don'ts. Let's start with those. Let's look back in our passage. These are laid out pretty clearly. Galatians 5, 26. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So there's three things that are mentioned. Boasting, challenging, and envying. These are not chosen at random. These are three things that characterize human beings. And that as, even as believers, these are going to be things that are in your heart that in many forms and facets, many actions or activities or motivations, you will be challenged to give in to these things and thereby flush away eternal rewards. And Paul is pleading with us, put these things away. So let's look at them each individually. Boasting. What is boasting? It's not challenging, right? It's self-promotion, self-glorification, it's arrogance, pride. And while this may be more distinctly a, a masculine characteristic, it's deeply, it's just a human problem. Both men and women wrestle with this self-promotion and glorification of trying to get other people's eyeballs on themselves, to draw attention to themselves. What's the problem? It's simple. You're not that great, and neither am I. God is great, and we steal from His glory when we spotlight ourselves. Do not do it. You are not worthy. God is. But how might you be doing this? Boasting can take many forms. And for Christians, it often takes a more subtle tone than what we see in the world. And that can be a challenge. We can look out and see all the boastful people out there, but I'm not boastful. I would challenge you to look more closely. It boils back to your desire to draw attention to yourself. This can often, I mean, it, it bears itself out in so many different ways. And throughout your life, you're going to have to wrestle with this one a lot. But I think for, for youth, oftentimes, it's in the way that we dress. It's the things that we wear, the way that we present ourselves to other people in our appearance, right? So it's going to be the stuff you put on and your thought is, how are other people going to perceive me? Is this attractive? Are people looking at me when I wear these things? We need to not do that. We need to not think that way. We need to not seek to draw attention to ourselves. Your, your dress, your display of yourself should be one of the, like, least interesting things about you. It should be kind of normal. Your character, that's what you want other people to be drawn towards. The, the inner person, the part that God is working on. I don't know if you've looked at people as they get older, but they don't end up looking much better. God is not working to redeem and improve your physical appearance. So why are you spending so much time on it? Maybe take a shower, right? But you don't... Why, why would you strive over making impressive something that's fading away? I mean, even just practically speaking, what, what actually gets better over time? What could you work on that could improve your character? Who you are as a, a person, right? So if you're seeking to attract other people, guys, if you're trying to attract ladies... 
You really don't want them falling in love with something that's going to get old and yucky. But if, if you can attract someone to your character, guess what? Your character can improve. It can get better. It can get stronger and deeper and more attractive. So just practically speaking, this is, this is wisdom. And ladies, if you're being attracted by muscles and tight shirts and like they're going to get old and they're going to get weak and their hair is going to fall out and you're going to get bored and it's going to get hard if that's what you were attracted to. You need to be attracted to, to men of character, men who are focused on improving the things that actually get better with time if they're a believer. So don't be boastful. Don't draw attention to yourself. Pull people around to point them to Christ. Next, after boasting is challenging. This one is it's similar to boasting, uh, but where boasting is seeking to draw attention to yourself by decorating yourself inappropriately, uh, this doesn't seek to draw atten- this, this does not seek so much to draw attention to herself. Challenging is trying to draw attention away from other people. Right? So where, where, where boasting will grow a poisonous crop of attention for yourself, challenging is just going to go find someone else's field and steal attention from what they're having. They're not so great, or have you heard about such and so? This is where rumors come from. This is where gossip comes from, where you're trying to tear other people down because you don't like other people having their eyeballs on them. You don't like it, so you're challenging them, you're pushing them. When other people appreciate what they've done, you might undercut them. Oh, I hear your story's pretty good, mine's better. This manifests itself in so many ways, particularly in conversation. You make fun of others. You put them down with biting and condescending words. You sow rumors and slanders. Don't don't do that. Just because they're not listening, God is listening. You are are flushing away eternal rewards when you are speaking evilly of other people. This isn't just words. It's also mannerisms where you kind of slouch and slug away from other people. Uh, I find this particularly true with like, classes of people. You've got the smart kids and the not-so-smart kids. We won't call them dumb. Um, well, they, like, separate a little bit. You've got the well-dressed kids and the not-so-well-dressed kids. And you kind of, you're, you're pulling away from each other. You're separating yourselves out. You're challenging each other, saying, I'm better than that group. I don't belong in that crowd. Trying to draw attention away. Hey, you belong in our group because you, why are you with them? Don't, don't, don't do this. Your mouth and your mannerisms, the things you say, the ways you say them, the way that you carry yourself, you need to think before you speak and act. You've probably heard that a lot from your parents, but it's so true. Bearing the fruits of the Spirit takes careful cultivation and crucifixion. It's not easy. This is not simple. I'm not telling you things that are easy to do. These are difficult things to do. You need to slow down with your words. You need to slow down with your thoughts. You need to take them captive, crucify those things which are wicked so that you can bear the fruits of the Spirit. It's so easy to cut other people down. We are masters of wit and and cunning, weaving perfect narratives with outcomes that destroy people. 
You need to stop. You need to stop saying these things. You need to think, what is the outcome? Why am I about to say what I am about to say? Is it, is it a fruit of the Spirit that I'm trying to produce and bear? Or am I challenging people? Am I boasting? You could be bearing eternal fruit. You could take your words and bear fruit for eternity. That's amazing. That's incredible. That by just making sounds with your mouth, you could be earning rewards that will benefit you for all of eternity that would please the Lord. That's incredible. You need to think about that. You need to intend to do that because it's not simple. It's not easy, but you can. You have the Holy Spirit inside you to control your mind, to take your thoughts captive so that the things that come out of your mouth, the way that you carry your body can earn your eternal rewards and the pleasure of the Lord. That's challenging. Next, we have envy. So, boasting and challenging, those are two hard ones, but I think envy may be one of the hardest of all because envy can control its words. Envy can control its actions But envy, it's enslaved to a seething mind. Proverbs 27, 4. Wrath is fierce and anger is a flood, but who can stand before jealousy? This idea of looking out at other people. It's not just covetousness of wanting what they have, right? They've got a nice house. They have a pool. I want a pool. I don't have a pool. It's not just covetousness. Envy is much deeper than that. Envy is a deep-seated belief. You are convinced that the world is unbalanced, it's unfair, and you're going to do something about it. It's heart hatred at the sovereignty of God and His orchestration of your world. You don't like the way things are, and it's deeply wicked, and it's deeply seated in your heart. So while we're, we're boasting and challenging our activities of your arms and legs and your voice box, the cells of your body, envy gets into the core of your heart. Envy is, is your trust in what God is doing, in His sovereign plan, in how people's lives work out, the things that they have, and even just the DNA that God gave them. You, you challenge God, or you don't think it's fair. You don't like it. God should have done something else. And you may not think that it's God's fault, but that is the attitude. It's deeply wicked. What is the antidote? How do you cure this? Thankfulness and contentment. There's so much in the New Testament about being thankful, of rejoicing. You need to be thankful. You may have a life of difficulty and loss and poverty and disease, And your neighbor may have one of plenty and ease and comfort. And you need to love them because your trust is in God. Right? You can't see past your own notes where my life is only until I die and my life's not great and so it's all a waste. You've forgotten about eternity. You've forgotten about forever. Don't forget about that. That's the only way you can fight envy is to look further than just the pain of life. And you're looking towards a heaven that lasts forever and that at every moment, whether it's easy or difficult, you have the opportunity by God's grace, His kindness, to craft in your life fruit which you will enjoy the rewards of forever. And a difficult life 
doesn't keep you from that. And in many ways, challenges and difficulties are the richest soil to grow these fruits of the Spirit. So do not envy, do not challenge the Lord. Do not isolate from people who you're just like, you're so jealous of the life they have and the charisma they've got and all the friends they just seem to attract and you want to push away from that person because you just can't stand being around them because you, I just want, I, 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 I want what they have and it's not fair. Don't, don't isolate from people like that. You need to change your heart. You need to bear the fruit of the Spirit. You need to not envy one another. So those are our don'ts. Don't boast, don't challenge, don't envy. What are our dues? Back in uh, the Galatians passage, we have, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. It's not nearly as specific, but that's because it harkens back to the fruits of the Spirit, which are very specific and very challenging because they're against our sin nature. What are they? You know them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You need to know this list like the back of your hand, and you need to operate it as a filter from the thoughts that come into your mind and the words that go out of your mouth. Are the, is the, are the thoughts that I'm thinking, are they love, joy, peace, patience? Are the words that I'm about to say, are they kind and good, faithful, gentle? And am I taking control of myself? Now remember, in your flesh, you cannot bear these fruits. That's why they're fruits of the Holy Spirit. They require the Holy Spirit for you to bear these things. But as a believer, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So you absolutely can bear these fruits as you crucify your flesh. You can say no to what your flesh wants, because the Spirit, your Spirit is alive, and it wants something else more. You are free in a way you were not before Christ, before redemption. You were not free to choose these fruits, to grow these fruits, but now you're free. You can choose by the power of the Holy Spirit that's actually inside you. You can choose to bear these fruits, to make a different choice, to crucify what your flesh desires, what you want to do, to be boastful, challenge, envy, saying, I will not do those things. And instead, I will do these things. I will love, be filled with joy, have peace, and so on. There will be tension, right? This would be, again, we do not mention these things because they are easy, but because they are necessary, because they are worth it to pursue. So it can be discouraging when you look at your life and you say, ah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in there that's not good. You should be discouraged by that, but it should motivate you. you don't, you're not enslaved to those things anymore. You don't have to be this way. You can, change, you can choose, you can choose Right now, tomorrow, to dress differently so that you're not being so boastful, to choose different words so you're not challenging one another, and to work on your heart so that it isn't envy, because the Spirit inside you is powerful. It's more powerful than your desires, and the reward is worth it. You just need to believe it.
Uh, to bring this point home, there's, there's so many, like I, I landed on this Galatians passage, but it is not an isolated passage. This concept exists all over the place in the New Testament. So I'd like to go through some of these, right? I had a long list of verses that I was collecting, trying to find the one that I felt like really hit home the, the point, and that was the Galatians passage. But there are so many others, and I think they're valuable to spend some time going through this idea of flesh crucifixion, this idea of how do you crucify the flesh? How do you kill it? You kill it by killing it. There's, there's not a lot of magic involved here. You don't have one and a little bit of the other. You're either bearing the fruits of the Spirit or you're bearing the fruits of the f- flesh. And the way that you bear the fruits of the Spirit is by crucifying the flesh. It dies when it dies. It's not magic or psychology or tricks. It's just a slow painful, deliberate, and daily saying yes to the greater rewards of heaven by saying no to the cheap and deadly thrills of your flesh. Ephesians 5, 1 through 4, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. I mean, this one's a phenomenal one as well. Be imitators of God. What an outrageous call. Like, you know, we spent a lot of time studying God in this room. And to say to be an imitator of God, that's an impossible call in yourself. But if you have the Spirit of God, God Himself inside you, giving you the power, this is not an impossible call. It is the call for God to be like Himself. He is like Himself. You can be an imitator of God. But how? In Christ. Because He loved you, because He gave Himself up for you, the forgiveness of your sins so that when we approach putting away immorality and like the things that you say, God really cares about those things. No filthiness, no silly talk, no coarse jesting. It's so easy to talk about these things. And God says it is so wicked. You're flushing away eternal rewards when you're not watching the things that you say. And yet, what an incredible thought that we can just change the things that we say And God is pleased with that, and it earns for us eternal rewards. That's incredible to me. Next, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body." You cannot do this if you are not a temple of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit inside you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Because that is true, you can and must glorify God in your body, putting away from you immorality, those things which are immoral, things which are not according with God's law of how you are to treat your body, how you are to behave as a human in relationship with other people. You think about those things. You need to use your body in the way that God designed it to be used. Think about that. You need to know what that is so that you please the Lord 
with the body that he's given to you and that he dwells inside with his Holy Spirit. First Timothy 4, 7 through 8. Have, uh, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. I mean, this is, this is a tremendous verse to wrap up our study here over the last couple of weeks. To put away silliness, to put away short-sightedness, worldliness, things that can't see towards eternity. Put away those things and put on discipline. This is not something that's simple. This is not just a switch you flip in your mind and for the rest of your life you'll be good. You need to be disciplined every single day to bear fruit, to crucify your flesh, to say no, 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 again and again and again for the rest of your life because it's worth it. Because that is how we please the Lord and reap a harvest in heaven. But what I love about this verse particularly is that there can be this mindset that life's just going to be awful as a Christian. It's, it's worth it, but it's going to be awful. And man, if, if heaven wasn't real, I don't, I don't think I would live this way. Like it's, being a Christian is just not it. It's not worth it. But we have heaven and so it's fine. That's not what Paul is saying. It says, it says, it has holiness, godliness. It's profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. It's better to be godly here. It's not better to be unrighteous. Your enslavement to your sin is not actually better for you, even in your flesh. It destroys you. Look around at the world a little while at the people who give themselves, who have the ability to really give themselves over to sin. Their life is not better than yours in any way. Being godly is, is beneficial. Why? Because God designed us. He built us. He knows what's actually good for us. But your sin, your, your fleshliness, your boasting, your challenging and your envying, they're destroying you. They're harmful to you. Both your physical body and more importantly, and for all of eternity, your spiritual soul as well. Godliness is beneficial. It's worth it at every level for all things. So there is no place for a woe is me, I'm a Christian, and I'm just waiting until the day I get to heaven. It is beneficial. It is good for you to be godly. And we need to believe that. And it's difficult. It's not easy. It's not simple. Your flesh does not believe that. But you have the Spirit of God inside you who knows that this is true, and so we have the power, the ability, the knowledge to know that saying no to our flesh, crucifying the desires that we have, and in its place putting in the fruits of the Spirit that it's worth it. It's worth it right now, and it's worth it in, a, in the greatest of senses for all of eternity. In conclusion, then, over the last two weeks, I would like to read uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. It's the final challenge, a commission that I give to, to you all and to myself as well. 
as we think about going forth for the rest of our lives, becoming accustomed to the sounds of crucifixion of our flesh as we bear the fruits of the Spirit. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. We need to strive against sin. It requires discipline and endurance. There will be the challenge at every level, the the temptation to want to stop, to want to give in, to want to give up. But remember Jesus, who has saved us from our sin, who's redeemed us, that we're not striving for our redemption, we're striving for our reward. It's worth it. We need to strive unto bloodshed, unto death itself. Knowing it, again, it's not a striving against, uh, striving for forgiveness, but for reward. And it's worth it. It's difficult, but it's worth it. We have our model in God, our example in Christ, our equipping in the Holy Spirit. We have, but to take hold of the hammer and the nails and every day choose to put to death the activities and attitudes of unrighteousness by sowing the seeds of spiritual, eternal fruit of which we will enjoy the tastes for all of eternity. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for your word. I am so grateful for your forgiveness that is offered in Christ, a thing which we do not deserve, which is a uniquely human thing. You do not offer redemption to to angels. It It is given to us. And so, Lord, please help us to take hold of that and to live lives of holiness that please you. You've offered to us the opportunity to to sow unto eternal rewards. I pray that we would take hold of the, the trowel and that we would work diligently in those fields to bear fruit, that you would give us endurance and encouragement, that we would challenge one another to these things, that we would challenge ourselves to these things, that we would bear fruit, rich fruit, a harvest, that is pleasing to you, that glorifies you because it is Holy Spirit-empowered and that we would benefit from it for all of eternity, day after day after day, days unending. That you would put these things firmly into our mind, that we would believe them, that we would be convinced of them, and that it would cause us to behave differently, to behave more godly day by day. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.